0: Well, if you have a Bible with you, can I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 20 as we continue our study of Abraham. It would be really helpful if you could follow along as we read God's word. Genesis chapter 20. This is the word of God. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as As dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands." Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and that will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Amen. We thank God for the reading of his word. Um, For those of you um, who are young people here, we have Seven O'Clock Club and you can go out to that now. I'll hand over to Mark.
1: Let me pray and then we'll look at that passage a little bit more closely. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word this evening. We thank you that it is your holy, infallible, and inerrant word, and through it you give life. We pray, Lord, this evening as we come into Genesis 20, that you would open our hearts and our minds to its truth, that you would draw us to the Lord Jesus, and in him we would have life and discover and enjoy the promises of God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the first Sunday of the last day of the month, which means that 2022 is very soon coming to an end. And when a year comes to an end, often we can become reflective. So I wonder as you reflect on 2022, I wonder what you would say have been the most significant events of the year. Maybe the death of the queen. Maybe the war in the Ukraine. The weakening of the pandemic. What about people? Who would you say have been the most significant people of 2022? Again, the Queen. Vladimir Putin. Elon Musk. Conor McManaman of Glen <laughs> Who was called up to the Northern Ireland the international squad. Harry Styles released the most popular song of 2022. Who's been the most significant person of the year? What about people or institutions? What institution has had the biggest impact and is the most significant institution in the world? A music group, sports group, political group, NATO. What institution has had the biggest impact? What is the most significant of our year? This evening we're in Genesis 20, and often when this passage is preached on, it's presented as if its main focus is to highlight Abraham's sin. We're going to read about Abraham's sin in this passage. But ultimately this passage is about God, as every passage in the Bible is. And what this passage is going to reveal to us this evening is that because of who God is, and because of what God is like, the most significant group of people in the world, the institution that has the biggest impact on the world is, has been, and always will be his church. How do we see that? Well, in order to see that, we've got to understand something of the book of Genesis, Back in Genesis 12, you'll remember, God comes to Abraham and he promises to bless him. It means he'll lavish goodness upon him as he saves him. He saves him and then he calls him and his descendants after him to be his own special people as he leads them in righteousness. In Genesis 12 to 17, God promises to continue to bless him. He'll give him a land, a place to live, He'll make a mighty nation of him. He'll make his name great. Nations will come from him. He'll bless those who bless him, and he'll curse those who curse him too. And so God's people, his special people, who we later call his church, are a significant, unique people. A people who God will bless, and a people through whom God will bless the world. You know, one of the great things about living in Northern Ireland is that we have a rich history. One of the things of having a rich history, particularly when it comes to the church, is that the church can have a lot of baggage. And when we think of the history of the church, particularly in a country like Northern Ireland, often it can bring complicated baggage. Such that when we think of church or the church, we can think negatively. We can be suspicious of the church we can want to distance ourselves or even want to run it down. But the church in the Bible, God's people is a unique people. It's a people who, upon whom God will lavish his blessing. And it's a people through whom God will bless the world. Well, from Genesis 12 to 17, God covenants with Abraham, he gives himself to Abraham and his descendants after him. And in Genesis 21, next week's chapter, you'll see that Abraham is given a son, his name of course is Isaac, through whom he will have many descendants as God fulfills his promises. But between 17 and 21 are chapters 18 to 20. And what becomes the focus of those chapters is the nations of the world. Yes, God has come to Abraham, and he's formed a people for himself, but what about the people who already live in the world? What about the people who are not yet part of his special people? Well, they become the focus of chapters 18 to 20. And in chapters 18 and 19, through God's people, and through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which you would have heard last week, what God does is he judges the nations of the world, demonstrating that what will God do with the nations of the world? He will bring judgment upon them for their sin as he blesses his own people and makes a mighty nation of them through whom he really will bless the world. But if in chapters 18 and 19, God brings judgment upon the nations, chapter 20 is quite different. Because in chapter 20, through God's people, and through the story of Abimelech, who's a representative in one sense of the nations of the world, God demonstrates how he will embrace the nations of the world, that his people might indeed be a mighty, mighty people. Because God's church, it's a people upon whom God lavishes his blessing. people through whom he blesses the world. At the same time, Genesis 20 begins with some striking details. Notice what it says in verse 1. Because immediately we're told Abraham journeyed. Now we can just brush over that word because we use it in our language. But that word journey appears in Genesis 12 when Abraham moves away from the promises of God. So straight away in chapter 20, we're being alerted to something that's coming, something serious, something that's wrong. Notice where he goes. He goes to the Negev between Kadesh and Shur. Those two places are mentioned earlier on in the book of Genesis. They're associated with Hagar when the promises of God are placed under threat. Notice what he does when he gets there. When he gets to Gerar, he introduces his wife as his sister. Because according to verse 11, he's scared. That if people find out that Sarah is Abraham's wife, they'll want to kill him and take her to be his own. Which isn't just a sin against God, because he's doubting the promises of God, who promises to make a mighty nation of him and His wife. It's also to sin against Sarah, to place her in danger, rather than fulfill his responsibilities to her. Which means that what Genesis 20 is telling us is not simply, it's not simply listing Abraham's sin what it's telling us is that God will bless his people and through his church, he will bless the world, all four corners of the world, even in spite of the sin of his people. Because God is always faithful to his promises. Chad Van Dixhorn is a church history professor. He's Canadian, but he lives in America. He's a real expert in church history. He was giving a lecture one time on the history of the church and he was listing many of the difficulties and problems that have arisen throughout its history. If you know anything about church history, you'll know that the church is a bit of a mess. During his talk, someone raised their hand and asked him a question. Say, excuse me, Dr. Van Dixhorn." If the church really is God's special people, if you're saying that the church is God's people, why is it so messy? Why does God allow his church to continue when it's full of sin? Ever wondered that? Have you ever looked at the church and thought to yourself, the church is a mess? Why is that allowed to continue in God's church? Why does God tolerate it when it's supposed to be his people? Maybe you've experienced some of the mess of the church through things you've seen, through relationships you've had, through things you've heard or witnessed. The church can be messy. As Van Dixworn had the question asked of him, his answer was striking. He said, what you see on a corporate level with the church is exactly the same as what you see on an individual level in your own life. In other words, on a corporate level, the church is a mess. It's full of sin and and problems. But so is every single individual sinner. And just as God is committed to his people, and just as he is committed to you this evening, if you are a Christian, in spite of all of your mess and all of your sin, as he fulfills his promises in your life, so he's committed on a corporate level to his church. Because God's people is a people upon whom he lavishes his blessing, and a people through whom he will bless all four corners of the earth, even in spite of our sin. How do we see that played out? Well, you see it from verses three to seven. Notice what happens, verse three. Because in spite of Abraham's sin, notice what God does. He came. He comes to Abimelech. He confronts him, the king of Gerar, as Abimelech takes Sarah to be his own wife. And as he appears to him, notice what he does in verse four, verses three and four. He confronts him, over his sin, having, we're told in verse six, restrained him, kept him from sleeping with Sarah. And as he confronts him over his sin, having restrained him from his sin, notice the direction he leads Abimelech in, in verse four. As Abimelech, realizing, recognizing his sin, now appeals to God in verse four, In verse 5, appealing to the integrity of his heart and the innocence of his hands. In other words, now that he's found out, what does he do? He appeals to the righteousness and the justice and the mercy of God for forgiveness. As God then calls him in verse 6 and 7 to give up Sarah, to return her to where she should be and then points him in the direction of his prophet, who in spite of Abraham's sin, will nevertheless be able to point him to the life-giving word of God as God embraces Abimelech as his own. And as Abimelech returns to Abraham in verses eight to the end, notice what he does. He goes straight to Abraham and confronts him over his sin seeking to lead Abraham in righteousness. And as he does in verses 14 to the end, he lavishes goodness upon him. See the description in verse 14? He gives him sheep and oxen. He gives him male servants, female servants. He gives him land. He returns his wife to him before he lavishes goodness upon Sarah. He gives her silver. He declares her innocence. Before then, Abraham turns to God and God through Abraham blesses Abimelech and his people too. And what these verses are showing us is that even though Abraham has sinned, God nevertheless comes through the actions of Abraham and leads Abimelech to his life-giving word as he embraces him as his own. And as he does, and as Abimelech then, as a representative of the nations of the world, then turns and seeks to lead Abraham in righteousness and lavishes goodness upon him, what they're illustrating is that God really will be faithful to his promises. He really will continue to bless his people and through them the nations of the world, even in spite of his people's sin it's God's blessing it's God's blessing of coming to sinners people made in his image called into relationship with himself it's those people it's that blessing of being confronted in our sin having restrained us from being worse than we could have been and directing us to his life giving word as he leads us in mercy and grace it is that blessing that this world so desperately needs. And it's that reason why God's church is the single most significant group of people in the history of the world, because it's through his people that God lavishly has, does, and will continue to bless. I remember sitting in seminary a few years ago In a lecture to do with systematics theology. Systematics theology basically is the study of what does the Bible say about such and such topic. And the professor who was teaching us has an amazing Bible knowledge. I used to sit in amazement at the things that he knew. One day he told us the story of how he became a Christian. It's amazing. He told us that. I think it was a teenager, or maybe in his early 20s, he was flicking through TV channels. Wasn't a Christian, wasn't raised in a Christian home. And he came across a prosperity gospel preacher. Now, the prosperity gospel is a heresy. It claims that God will reward you and your faith with health and wealth. It's lies, and if you follow it, it will lead you straight to hell. But this guy was on TV preaching this false gospel in a Christian church, in a Christian pulpit. And as my professor listened to it, he was intrigued. So he turns the TV off, he goes and buys himself a Bible and starts to read. And in the Bible, he doesn't come across the prosperity gospel, he's convicted by a sin. And he gets on his knees and gives his life to Christ. God's plan for the world is to save a people for himself. And as he saves his people, his plan is that his people would receive his blessing and live as a blessed people, embracing his righteousness, living in his righteousness, and so that through them he would bless the world as he calls the world to repentance, to receive blessing in him. What Genesis 20 illustrates and what that story of my professor also illustrates is that God is still not dependent upon us. He's not sitting back hoping that we will do enough for him to fulfill his promises. What Genesis 20 is illustrating is that God will fulfill his promises even in spite of our sin. Often when it comes to relationships, we can be little legalists. I'll get him a Christmas present if he gets me one. I'll say hello to her after the service if she says hello to me. It's absolutely true that God can withhold things from people, even when they sin. But it's absolutely true that God is no legalist. And God will continue to lavish blessing upon his people and through them, the whole world, calling us all to come and receive him and receive his blessing of forgiveness and new life in him, even in spite of our sin. Because God is always faithful to his promises. Jesus' church is remarkable. It's a stunning group of people because it's the people through whom upon whom God will lavish his blessing. And it's the people through whom he will bless the world. But if you read Genesis 20 carefully and you let it sink in what is being taught, you cannot help but ask a question. You cannot help but wonder how is this possible? How can a righteous a righteous and just God, as Abimelech recognizes God to be, and as God has already revealed himself to be in the book of Genesis, how can a righteous, just God come to sinners and save? How can God come to Abimelech and through him embrace the nations of the world, as He builds a massive, blessed people for himself? How can he do that when Abimelech is a sinner? shouldn't he destroy him like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah? And not just Abimelech, but how can God even come to Abraham? How can God come to Abraham in Genesis 12 and form a people for himself when his people are sinners? I mean, look at us. We're a mess. And not just how can he save, but how can God come to people at all? and enter into relationship with us at all when we're full of sin. So as good as this story is, you cannot help but wonder, how is this possible? How can a holy, righteous, just God embrace the nations of the world and form a people for himself? When you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you read of the God who gives himself to his people and calls them to embrace his blessing and live as a blessed people, you're reading of a God who would come and do it himself. A God who would come and step into the sin of this world and take on human flesh and bear the name Jesus. Jesus. And just as God calls his people to himself and calls them to live as his blessed people, so the Lord Jesus would come and live as the true person of God, living faithfully before him, obeying all of his commands and living in worship of him in all that he was and did. And as Jesus Christ lives righteously before God, he would at the same time go to a cross, On the cross, he would die for the sins of his people so that his people could go free, so that the righteous, holy, just God would at the same time be able to display his mercy as he satisfies the righteousness and the justice of God by punishing sin and yet the mercy of God by embracing sinners to be his own so that he can come to people like Abraham, And through him, people like us and embrace us and make us his own. And even in spite of our feelings and our sin, work in and through us to embrace the nations of the world from all four corners of the earth. You see, the reason chapter 20 is possible is because the God who gave himself to Abraham is the God who would give his only Son. So that through Jesus Christ, the righteousness and justice of God would be satisfied. That he might display his mercy to and forever bless. God's church is a remarkable people through Christ Jesus. But this passage isn't given simply to inform us this evening. This passage is given to challenge us. You see, as you read it, it's tempting to get caught up in the sin of Abraham. It's not about Abraham. The Bible's not about anybody but God, really. This is about God. And what it's calling us to do is it, is it spells out the sin of Abraham is to now point the spotlight on us as God reveals that he will not tolerate sin. Any sin. And as God reveals his intolerance of sin, so he is calling us in recognition of his righteousness and his justice to come in dependence upon his mercy. Just like Abimelech in this chapter and Abraham throughout the book of Genesis, depend upon his mercy that we may receive his grace and be forgiven of our sin even this evening. And as God challenges us this evening to come and receive his mercy and his grace, so he's writing this passage to encourage us that you may know this evening in the midst of a world that turns its back on the purposes of God that you may know unequivocally and certainly that God is fulfilling his purposes and he is doing so today that God has formed a people for himself. And as we meet this evening in Rich Hill, we meet alongside millions of people all over the world as part of God's church, as he fulfills his promises today. And as he does, and as he continues to embrace the nations of the world, may you be encouraged not to neglect the call to embrace him, and turn your back on his blessing, because he will fulfill his promises anyway. No. May you be encouraged to see who God is, to see his faithfulness, his goodness, and his commitment to his people, including you, that you may embrace the blessing of God today, and that you may live faithfully before him, So that through your faithfulness, God would continue to bless as he builds us and builds and builds his people using you to embrace the nations of the world as he continues to fulfill his promises today. Because God is a God who will bless and will bless and will bless. So as you hear Genesis 20 this evening, may you be challenged and may you be encouraged to come and receive the blessing of God in Christ. In Christ Jesus. May you embrace him and live for him as he fulfills his promises today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that God, you are building your church And in spite of what the media may say, in spite of all the bad news that surrounds us, in spite of the opposition against your church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we praise you this evening that you are building and you are winning, and your church will prevail because you win. We thank you this evening for the privilege of being on the right side of history, that Jesus is Lord, and as you call all your people to yourself, you are building and you are building and you are building. We pray this evening, Lord God, that you would challenge us, that we would recognize that you will not tolerate sin, and yet through your Son, the Lord Jesus, you call us to come and receive the mercy of God as we trust in his life and death and resurrection as the true person of God. And may you encourage us to live in Jesus, that just as he was faithful to you, we may be faithful to you too because of who you are. And through us, Lord God, here in Rich Hill, would you use us to build your kingdom in anticipation of that final day when you lead us to that eternal heavenly land in worship of you with all of your people, forevermore. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.